0: episode four zero episode 40 cutoffs and iced coffee with your host as always James and CT from T3 performance today we have an absolute boss on the episode his name is Ryan Rua he is currently a T3 performance and T3 Warhawks baseball coach but this man started at Lake Erie College Worked his way up defying the odds through minor league baseball was a 17th round pick in the major league draft and played a good career with the Texas Rangers in the major league baseball and this guy is awesome. We've gotten to know him well for a long time. We trained him for a while when he was playing. Like I mentioned, he now is a coach and is an absolute savage. And he takes us through what's important about training for baseball, what's not important. He tells us his whole journey, how he got there, why he didn't quit, and what it took for him to defy the odds. I think this is a great um, podcast, great opportunity for anybody to listen to who has any interest in pursuing big time college or professional sports in general, not just baseball. I think you're gonna enjoy it as much as we enjoyed having the conversation.
1: And this episode is brought to you by Foundations of a Five-Tool Baseball Player. This is an ebook I put together to help baseball players be able to know what to do in the weight room. Training can be difficult and it's even more difficult if we don't have a plan. So Foundations of a Five-Tool Baseball Player uh, explains all the way through why speed is important to what we need to be doing in the weight room and how to assess our skills that we do have to maximize the talent and to be able to chase our dreams. That book is available at underdogfitness.com. And if you use the code T3Velo, T3 V-E-L-O, you can get 50% off that ebook and that program lasts forever. You can run it in season. You can run it out of season. It gives you some guidance to be able to help you chase your dreams.
0: That's huge. Take advantage of that. And again, if you like what we're doing on Cutoffs and Coffee, like subscribe share let us know who you want to hear on the podcast we'll do our best to talk to him here it is episode 40 with ryan rua enjoy coach ryan rua welcome to the podcast man cutoffs and coffee we are happy to have you what's going on brother
2: how you guys doing i was uh kind of waiting for my turn 40 episodes in i haven't been asked yet so (laughs) it is what it is i'm happy to be on you know we went through 10
0: we (laughs) went through 10 we thought are we ready for ryan yet no no are we 20? Are we ready for Ryan? Yeah. Um, if, you're, if you're not watching the um, the YouTube video, which we suggest you should, if you're not, um, Ryan Rua is the Steve Weatherford of the MLB. Um, if you're familiar with that, Steve is a former punter of the NFL. He is jacked. It took us 40 episodes to basically get strong enough to feel like we could be on the same screen as Ryan Rua here. Um, so as I'm sending everybody to YouTube, maybe it's like, you know what? Maybe just listen to this one. On Spotify or Apple. Um, tell us, Ryan, man, a, 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 you know, we want to know a little bit about you before we get into your story, before we really talk training. Um, and we open up with a couple of couple of questions. Um, and the first one being, what's something about you that we can't find from a quick Instagram or a Google search?
2: Uh, you know, I guess we kind of put James in a good mood. I know it's kind of early, but if, if you kind of Google my name in my baseball career, and I know James doesn't let me forget it um he did hit a home run off me in high school ball varsity ball so we'll just we'll just throw that out there now at the beginning so it's over with and we don't have to hear from it uh, <laughs> anymore
1: he beat me to it
0: i was gonna say let me let me check that off the list yeah I I figured got it was the bottom. So.
1: yeah and i yeah, don't know if know, it makes me might... feel better or worse but that was my yeah. only high school home run um yeah, and the wind see, so the wind we'll was we'll blown out
2: <laughs> yeah we'll just keep oh, adding so. on to it throughout this uh interview. <laughs> yeah.
0: I was going to say, that's one thing you can't find about Ryan Rua from a Google search. But if you search James, that's the first thing that comes up. T3 performance hit home run off Ryan Rua. Um, hey, second question, man, talk to us about um, the last skill that you that you taught yourself. You're a father now. So I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you're teaching your, your kids skills, um, you know, and watching them learn and, and helping them feel and, and all that kind of stuff. What's the last thing you taught yourself?
2: Um, I don't, I don't think it's something that I actually taught myself. I think it's something I'm still teaching myself, um, and learning from is, you know, being a baseball player and being in athletics growing up my whole, my whole life. That's kind of what our family revolved around. Uh, there were times that my, my dad was hard on us, um, from a performance standpoint, uh, not necessarily a hustle effort. Yes, that was there, but more performance-based, statistical-based, uh, outcomes, uh, so, you know, with my son, obviously, and my daughter, too, in my background, I know they're going to be pressured and be expected to be good athletes. Um, obviously, my wife was a Gatorade player of the year, Ohio volleyball player and played at Akron. So we have some some good bloodlines. But uh, in today's world with mental health and different things like that, I want my kids to be able to do what they want to do and have fun doing it. I don't want to put that added pressure on them um, and not necessarily you know, my, my father did anything wrong. I think the way he pushed me got me to where I was. Uh, but just watching that stuff and being a little bit more careful. And um, there are times where I am hard on him. My son, he's only five, but I, I try to realize that early enough and kind of pull back a little bit. But at the same time, too, I have good people that I'm, I'm with every day, whether that's Jeff Sudbrook or Bob Beck, who have had their kids or going through their kids experiences now um, that I'm able to learn from, too. Yeah,
0: man, great people to be able to to be around. And, and that's a great point for everybody listening. Right. And we we've said it a couple times before, just because something was done to you does not mean that you have to do it to other people, you know, especially as a as a father, too. That's powerful. Um Take us through your story, man. Uh, you know, tell everybody who you are, where you got to where you are today um, and and walk us through kind of the, the trip to the through the big leagues um up to where we're at now today with what you're what you're doing.
2: Yeah, I uh, was born in South Amherst, Ohio, uh, grew up in South Amherst for a couple of years before my family moved to Amherst. Uh, that's where I, you know, I spent my whole, my whole career uh, or my whole life. Um, see, I told you, I told you she'd be talking. Yeah. Hey, hang on a sec. Um, and, uh, you know, from there was always kind of the smaller kid in my class growing up. I was always one of the smaller ones. I think James can remember that. Um, seventh and eighth grade, even sixth grade, probably when we're playing baseball against each other and basketball, um, which kind of fuels my fire of working out today and different things like that. I was not necessarily that I was picked on, but I was always smaller and I was was let that known by other people. Um, But yeah, always baseball and basketball growing up, never football or anything like that. Uh, I love the sport of football, probably my most passionate sport to watch and I enjoy watching the most uh, football. But, you know, from... From junior high at Amherst and going to Amherst Steel High School, played baseball and basketball there, Um, accepted a full ride to Lake Erie College in Painesville to play baseball, uh, Division II school, Uh, and obviously, you know, the recruiting and different things that I'm doing now with our T3 Warhawks that we'll talk about in a little bit, kind of testament to what I'm trying to teach these kids and whatnot. I know everyone, and this may be getting a little bit off topic, but wants to go D1 and wants to do all that. That stuff and have it in my twitter bio or my instagram bio that i i go to ohio state well just because you go to ohio state doesn't mean you're going to play which is fine but some people want that that kind of accolade in their bio to where i was like i need to go somewhere where i'm going to play right away if i'm going to continue to develop and get better uh, lake erie was in the process of going d3 to d2 and had a lot of baseball scholarship money Uh, And their shortstop was graduating. So I had a chance to go in there. And as soon as I stepped foot on campus, I was a shortstop at 18 year old, 18 years old playing against 20, 21 year year olds really helped me develop and learn the game even, even faster, Um, you know, so from from Lake Erie College, I played baseball there, closing pitcher and um, shortstop for three years, got drafted by the Texas Rangers, um, moved through their farm system pretty quick. in three and a half years, I made my major league debut uh, in 2014 uh, after a quick stint in the minors. You know, I think uh, for for me, I was drafted in the 17th round, so I didn't have a lot to lose. I wasn't a high round draft pick coming from a high school or a big time power five program. Um, and I didn't get a lot of money. So for me, it was go out there and do the same thing I've been doing my whole life and play the game. And we'll kind of talk about this later is, kind of how my mentality changed when I got in the big leagues and I got a little bit too comfortable. Um, and we see that, you know, with, with athletes and different things like that, once the, once the offers start coming in for high school kids or, you know, the commitment starts and their mentality changes. Um, I kind of got to that standpoint uh, in the big leagues and it, it probably helped derail my career um, along with injuries and different things like that. But yeah, I grew up in Amherst, Ohio, went to Amherst Steel High School, Played at Lake Erie College for three years, played in the minor leagues uh, with Texas for three and a half years before being called up and then a little bit up and down. So eight, eight years of pro ball from 2011 to 2018.
1: yeah, man, and and I think it's 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 funny when I hear you say, like you know, derailed your your career in a sense, like the way that you view your career even in a sense is like the way I view and most people around you view your career is like extremely successful. So um, just hearing you talk about that in in your your path, like you can tell how competitive you are. And like that's what mm-hmm. I remember about seventh and eighth grade basketball is oh shit like here's Amherst and I am going to have to work my ass off this whole game to be able to run it up up and down the court with their point guard and I like we all knew who you are Um, and we we knew you know even though like we were probably both five foot flat at that point right and and we knew it was going to be a tough game Um, that competitive nature you still have it Uh, and just hearing you talk about your story it's kind of kind of cool to hear that perspective how competitive you are Um, and, and the kids that you coach know how competitive you are and I think that's Such an awesome, awesome, like, um, you know, side of you that I've seen um, in the coaching um, that you've done with our athletes um, is is that competitive nature um, that you that you bring to it. Um, You know, kind of talk us through, you know, getting from being a a major league baseball player into into coaching uh, in in that kind of process along the way. Did you have any big paradigm shifting moments that uh, maybe, you know, day one is Coach Rua to, to where you're at now that's kind of helped shape the coach you are.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, obviously in the winter, I had I had the privilege of training with you in the off seasons and different things like that in CT um, and getting to know you guys. So the transition from when I was done playing to getting into coaching with T3 and, and Jeff was, was fairly simple because I knew you guys and I was comfortable around everyone. And it's not like uh, T3 performance is this big egotistical gym that you're, you feel kind of awkward walking in every time or, you know, walking on eggshells. Uh, you, you have a good grasp on everyone, whether it's the front desk or, um, you know, Emily and Mike and ownership and, and whatnot, or the trainers on the floor, everyone makes you feel comfortable. And it, it's always a good vibe. Um, when Jeff asked me to do it, I wasn't really sure of it from a standpoint of, I just got done playing. Do I want to give up this first kind of summer and run around with these kids that I don't know? And I was jumping into it maybe a couple of days before the season started. Um, and then probably three-fourths of the way, I would say even halfway through that summer, maybe the end of June, beginning of July, I was like, I'm going to sleep. But I'm like, damn, we got a game tomorrow. I'm, I'm excited for these kids to play um, and and teach them and kind of, you know, give them the kind of knowledge and opportunities and freedoms that, that I didn't have when I was playing.
0: Dude, what were some of the other thoughts in your mind when making that transition what where else did you feel like you fit
2: it's funny because during spring training big league spring training we always have these meetings at the beginning of of camp and it's like you don't you don't think about it now but when you're when it comes you don't know what you're gonna do like when your career is over you're gonna there's gonna be a month or two months of panic that you don't know what you're gonna do um and honestly you know I feel like a lot of people kind of fall into their family family background or where their parents work or different things like that my dad was at Ford for a long time um, and wh- while it's not a fun job and is you know very repetitive it has good benefits and and pays pays pretty well as you get older um, so that was a thought process of the benefits for my family and things like that even though the job wasn't great but it was another blessing in disguise that Jeff kind of brought me on and, and wanted to coach and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Tell her she can come on if, if she wants. We got plenty of time. And I, I definitely want to get into some of the coaching stuff. I want to take a deep dive in like yeah. your, your mentality and your preparation with the coaching. But um, I think it's important for our athletes and our listeners to understand kind of your process and what you were going through as a pro um, you had mentioned, everybody wants to play D one, right? Yeah. That's it. Nothing, but, but go to play. I have the same, same conversation with the football players. What do you think it takes for an individual or for you individually to be able to one, get to the big leagues and then from there to be able to stay. Um, And then I want to know kind of the difference between, you know, what it took from the guys who you saw, who got there with you, fell out early when you were able to, to, to continue your career a little bit. So first of all, kind of what's it, what's it take to get there?
2: I think, There's, there's a number of things that come along with it, whether that's talent or being seen at the right time, luck, performing when you're supposed to perform, when those scouts are there and different things like that, whether that's college or, or summer ball or even pro ball when those scouts are there. Um, but the competitive drive, I mean, to me, being able to go to college prepared me more than being drafted out of high school. I don't know if I would have been able to, out of high school as an 18-year-old fresh go live on my, my own. And play baseball even though you're playing baseball it's a it's a 24-7 job Um, and live on my own do my laundry do all that stuff at least in college in the summer ball process and while I was at Lake Erie I had to learn those kind of adulting kind of tips and and things going forward to where I I stayed with the host family in South Carolina away from my family for a summer Um, I learned how to cook I learned how to do these different things and take care of myself to where you see a lot of these kids that, that I came up with in high school, they got paid a lot of money and they lasted a year or two because of distractions or not wanting to be away from home or just not understanding how to, you know, get your sleep. I know you're, you're out on your own. You're 18. You just signed for a million dollars. You can pretty much get into any place you want to get in. Um, different things like that. So it's it's all, to me, it's, it all goes back to how you were raised, a lot of it. Um, You're a product of your environment and not that you can't change. That doesn't mean that's permanent, but I was, I I was very lucky to be brought up the way I was. And I think that helped prepare me down the road for different things that I, I came across.
0: Yeah, man. I think about my, my journey. I I started living on my own at 22 after college playing professionally. And there's no chance. I wouldn't have stood a chance at 18. That's crazy to think that, that some kids are doing that. Um, James, what you had something to say there?
1: Yeah, and I think you know, in in the you know the time that you spent at Lake Erie, you had four years of of getting to play, getting all those at bats every day, uh, which you know even people that are getting drafted uh, after going to uh, maybe like a bigger school don't have as many as at bats as you did. Do you think that helped you in your first couple of years being able to adjust quickly to the level of of ball that you are now playing in the minors? Um, because I don't want to brush over the fact that, like you, br- like you rushed through the minors. Like that was like that's not the norm for people um, to to be able to move that fast. Um, was it Was it the additional playing experience? Was it the maturity? Uh, what were some of those things that helped you succeed immediately once you got into the minor leagues? And what were some adjustments you had to make as a baseball player to have success at that level? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, in college and. And obviously, like
2: we said before, you knew physically what I looked like Um, as a senior in high school. I wasn't ready to play professional baseball. Um, So I think that freshman, sophomore year of college, facing these older kids, juniors and seniors in in college definitely prepared me. But my mentality and how I went about my business and physically how my body started to mature were, were big key factors in my development and getting drafted into pro ball. Um, I know you see a lot of kids, especially now, who physically mature at 14, 15 years old, and after that, it's, it's done. Um, so even though I was that smaller kid throughout elementary school, junior high, high school, my time kind of came, and I knew my dad was kind of a late bloomer too. So my my time kind of came when I was a freshman, sophomore in college, and uh, you know I probably graduated high school 5'10", 160 then after my sophomore year going into my junior draft year, I was probably 6162, 190, 195. Um, so some different things like that. And even my, even probably my first year of pro ball, second year of pro ball, I was still maturing physically. Um, but another thing that kind of saved me was, you know, going to Lake Erie, being a D2 school, there's not a lot of off-campus or on-campus distractions. So for me, it was like class, practice, practice on my own or gym on my own party, hang out with the guys or be around the guys on the team and then back to bed and then doing the same thing the next day. Um, There was no, you know, off-campus bars or off-campus housing really, or distractions around. I mean, Painesville is a pretty small city. I know Menners nearby, but there there wasn't a lot of distractions for me too. So obviously Lake Erie again, another blessing in disguise to be able to go there and do that.
0: Ryan, do you, can you remember a moment and can you think of a of a moment either at Lake Erie sometime through this process or as you were kind of um, you know accelerated through minor leagues where you said you know what I can do this like this this was the moment these were the few moments that told me I'm going to be able to play at that next level.
2: Yeah there's kind of a a defining moment that kind of sticks out uh, after my sophomore year of baseball at Lake Erie I was going to play in Cincinnati in one of the better better summer collegiate wood bat leagues in the Midwest um, and I was taking ground balls at Amherst High School throwing my brother who was probably 11 or 12 at the time and I was throwing pretty hard and he was missing I And mean, I was I was kind of getting upset with him and different things like that and, and letting him have it and uh, you know on the car ride home my dad kind of looked me in the eyes and said you know, you better, you better watch what you're saying to your brother because that same shit's about to fucking happen to you right now. You go play there against these kids in the MAC and Big Ten. And uh, I don't know if he was doing that on purpose to fuel my fire even more before leaving or to kind of give me a reality check. But when I went in um, to that league, I think my first two games I hit home runs. Uh, I went to that all-star game of that league with MAC and Big Ten players and, and high-level D2 players and was MVP of that game. Um, an MVP of the league and went on to have, you know, my junior year at Lake Erie where there were scouts, MLB scouts at every practice. So uh, to me, that's kind of a defining moment that, and I don't know, you know, obviously my, my dad passed a couple months ago, but that's something that I look back on. Was he trying to fuel my fire before I left and keep me engaged? Um, or was he kind of sticking it to me? Like you're going to find out what baseball really is now.
0: Yeah. And I've, I've heard that story from multiple players at a high level that, that you get to a point where pitchers are throwing against you and they know how to get you out. Mm -hmm. And that was probably led up to that going to be that situation. And then when you were able to kind of defy the odds and go against what people were saying or what even people in your family thought that would, that would probably give you, um, give you some confidence. Um, how about training a little bit? Let, let's talk a little bit. And you kind of, you you mentioned in the beginning, right? Like we got a little comfortable as we were playing, but to be able to get to the point where we're comfortable, as far as we know from your story so far, is you would have had to do some pretty big things in the major leagues to even get to the point where you're making some money and, and, and you're comfortable. So can you talk us through um, kind of the beginning of your career and working your way up to where you were one of the guys? And then, you know, when comfort set in, um, what you were able to do when you recognize that, um and then kind of finishing you know out the out the rest of your your baseball career before we get into the get into the coaching stuff?
2: yeah, I think just kind of like I mentioned before, being like a seventeenth round draft pick middle middle round draft pick from a school nobody's heard of. Uh, I didn't have a lot to lose. So just like business or anything else, I wasn't that that guy that's being paid the most or that first round pick who That organization or that business was invested in who would that person would have more chances I didn't have a lot of chances so I knew if I screwed up or you know I was hurt or if I was hurt and I didn't play I was definitely hurting my chances to where I didn't have a lot of leverage to be able to sit back and kind of wait I kind of had to do it now and I was lucky enough to stay healthy uh, my whole minor league career Um, and kind of going through that you know my My second year uh, in Spokane, Washington, I kind of had a good year and started to put myself on the map. And then 2013, I was lucky enough to play low A full season ball, 140 games with, I would say, seven or eight of our top 15 prospects in the organization. So that team was already very watched upon by our our head scouts and our, our front office and different things like that at the major league level. And that's when I had my biggest season. Uh, I think throughout the first five months or four months of the season, you know, I hit close to 260, but my power really took off to where I finished, I think, that season with 32 home runs and ended up getting called up to Double A again because of my age. I was older than a lot of these high school prospects. So they, they were like, well, if he's doing this at low A, he doesn't need to do it anymore, and he doesn't need to go to high A. Let's really push him and see if he's got it and just send him straight to Double A with kids that are his age already that have been doing it for a couple years longer than him. So I went to A for that last month. Uh, and played well and then started back in double a next year for about half the year and then went to triple a had a good start to double a got called up to triple a they're like all right well now he's let's see if he can do it with guys that have been in the big leagues um or older older veteran guys who are up and down from triple a to to the big leagues and i went to triple a for half a year or two or three months and did the same thing and uh again lucky that Texas was struggling at the time and they had some injury problems I think that's a big piece too these guys can go through good careers but they never catch a break with their organization or they end up getting traded and that's their break is getting into getting into a lower lower level organization who hasn't been successful for a while and that's when they get their break into the big leagues but yeah an injury came up with about a month left to go into the 2014 season and I had a I think the front office was there at AAA watching me the day after the injury happened. And I think I went like three for four of the triple and two doubles uh, in triple a. And then, you know, I kind of got sat down uh, in the coach's office after the meeting with uh, John Daniels, our, our GM and in ownership. And they told me, you know, you'd be going out, oh, you'd be flying to Houston tomorrow morning, you'll play in that game in Houston and um, you'll meet the team there and different things like that. But uh, yeah, you know, from, From my standpoint, so much of it was luck. Uh, I was never hurt. Uh, I matured later, you know, I had good seasons. I was able to put things together. But another testament to luck is, you know, I wasn't afraid to put in the work either. You know, these minor league guys, the weight, the life isn't great. You're on bus, you're on buses everywhere you go until you get to AAA. You don't have good meals. You need to learn how to cook. The weight rooms are small, but you need to find a way to get your work in. Um, Just thinking from a standpoint, if you're playing 140 games in a minor league season and you're not used to working out, but you're playing these games every single day and your body's wearing down, but you're not able to necessarily maintain what you put on in the off season, you're going to struggle pretty fast and you're going to see that your your performance is going to go down pretty fast too. So being able to learn what I learned, um, from different people along the ways from my strength coaches in the minor leagues really really helped me move forward too and then I guess you know getting into the big leagues and kind of finishing like that like like you talked about coming from Amherst um, and this is kind of something that I've that's taken a a lot of time and growing up and maturing for me to admit but you know making that kind of money every two weeks even though I was one of the bottom tier guys on a big league roster wasn't on a, you know, a contract yet, just minimum wage salary for big leagues, still making that 35 to 40,000 every two weeks. Um, and coming back to Amherst was like, I'm, I'm that guy. And that's when the, the comfortability factor kind of set in and not, not necessarily that I didn't work in the off seasons cause I did, but th- thinking about how I work now outside of baseball and how dedicated and consistent I am with my workouts now and my diet and my sleep and my my habits and rituals of of what I want to get done every day and accomplish every day if I could have taken this stuff that I'm doing now and rewind 10 years I think I would still be playing you know big league baseball and have 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 a longer career um, and from a comfortability factor too like i have never been hurt in my life um, in my my first opening day 2015 I was named starting left fielder uh, and I broke my foot in the second inning jumping into the wall um, and ended up playing four or five innings after that because I'd never been hurt so I'm like I, I knew something was wrong I didn't know the severity of it but going forward I was like I'm, I just won this job in spring training to be starting left fielder there's no way I'm coming out of this game now until the point where I couldn't really walk anymore. Um, and then from there, there's some different back injury, injuries and stuff like that. Um, and like I said, once you get injured, someone else gets that chance. Um, they, they made some different signings and brought some veterans back and things like that. But just understanding that uh, my mentality in the minor leagues carried over for a little bit. And then the comfortability factor set in like, well, I know I'm hurt. I'm still going to get paid even though I'm hurt. Let's just show up and... I guess, getting hurt kind of translated into when I was healthy, that same kind of mindset
1: kind of stuck with me. Now, how how hard is it to, to have routines in baseball? You know, a lot of what we're talking about now is those routines um, that you had, and then some of the routines that you lost along the way. Um, but there's travel. Um, you were in four different teams in a very short span. So you're staying in different places, your living quarters change, your teammates change. Um, You know, how how does that variability play into being able to perform at a high level? Um, What were some things that maybe helped you uh, with that variability as you were going through the minors?
2: I think once I got to pro ball, there wasn't a coach that didn't want to help you, whether it was me or someone else or the best player or the worst player on the team. Every coach that was there was very passionate about their job. And if, if they weren't passionate, they would have been, you know, coaching nothing against high school coaches, but they would have been coaching a lower level. Um, they're very knowledgeable, but at the same time, they're very passionate. Uh, so the routine of the everyday baseball life Was up to you. You wanted to continue your routine and hit that day and get your work in. Someone was going to help you do it. No one was going to tell you no. Uh, So that another learning, learning and kind of maturing factor off the field is like, yeah, I'm, I'm 14 for 20 my last five games. Let's take this day off, or let's take two days off and kind of relax. And then I, you know, I end up going one for eight or over eight, and then the panic sets in. Like, okay, I don't want to start slumping, so let's go back to work. But instead i could have on those two days i took off i could have taken it back maybe 60% 75% but still got my reps in and had my my mental my my mental game right and my mentality keeping me locked in i think that's the biggest part of the routine for me was i know if i do this and get my routine out of the way i may not get the physical results i want through that routine but mentally it's going to tell me I, I did something today, and i'm I'm gonna be in a better place because of it
0: dude i I can't even imagine a hundred and forty games. I'm still thinking about that and and i'm you know i I understand travel's tough, and there's even sleep studies show that you don't sleep as well when you're not in your own bed, and I think everybody can relate to that, so you spend months and months in months traveling and playing and beating yourself up. How does anybody have any success with longevity? I mean, are there, are there, are there things? Because again, we're talking about routines a little bit, tips, tricks. Are there things for, you know, for guys who are going to be in the same situation who are looking to Ryan Rua for help on this kind of stuff? Like what, what are some things athletes can do Um, and we even get other athletes, basketball players who travel for four days and play eight games in a tournament and things like that. I mean, do you have now as a guy with some experience, some, some tips and tricks and some things you would maybe change to, to be able to help longevity throughout long seasons?
2: Yeah. I mean, looking back at, looking back on it now, I think you're young, you know, the sleep doesn't really matter. You're able to get up and still go through your day. And even a decade later, like if I don't get my sleep, I'm going to feel like shit in the morning. And I know that and it's going to drag me out throughout the day. Uh, I think the good thing is, you know, with sleep studies and mental health studies and all this information becoming available now, you know, a lot of these big league teams and throughout their minor league organizations are starting to implement different things like sleep rooms in their clubhouses or, you know, mental health coaches or or different things like that to be able to, I know at the end of my Career with the Rangers, we had like a sleep room with four or five beds and just a dark, just a completely pitch black room that was kind of dedicated to that, that everyone would try to take advantage of at some point in the day, especially with travel. And you know, if we were flying from Seattle to Texas and had a day game the next day, or different things like that, had a had a game and the travel was tough when to get until late, you know, you're gonna sleep in. But I think the biggest thing for me was if if I didn't like the food, then this is where I struggled. I think if I didn't like the food that was prepared after the game, I would go back to my room, order pizza or order B-dubs, absolutely crush it. And then sleep until noon, get up, shower 12, 1240 or one o'clock bus, get on the bus and go into the field. But that was my morning it was a shower, get on the bus, panic and rush. And now my day is kind of, kind of screwed up from there. Uh, and I didn't realize that back then, but looking back and how I feel now going to bed early and waking up, every, waking up somewhat early every day and getting my day going the right way. It, it, it speaks volumes, man. I, I, if I was a younger kid, that's something I would tell them now is take your diet, your nutrition, your sleep, understanding your rituals or your habits and take them serious and try to knock them out and be as consistent with it as much as possible.
0: No, they don't want to hear that. You got to wait till you got, gray spots in your beard to start realizing that um because it took me a long time i i was similar when i was playing and it was you know you go out two nights before the game and then you kind of roll over and you you get to walk through super late and then you eat crummy um so that's tough man anybody listening please focus on sleep. you know i i did a webinar the episode before this one uh, coach where we talked about all that kind of stuff so hopefully people listen to that and and if you need some tips on how to get better sleep check that out um jams go ahead
1: yeah so how do we kind of take take that concept in in you know the the habits the consistencies and then how do we package that up and deliver it to the high school athletes that we're in front of um it's a different high school environment than what we grew up in um and i'm sure 20 years from now it's going to be another a different environment different cultures um, different social norms. Um, but I, I bet a lot of the habits that it takes to be a high performing baseball player or just a high performer in general are going to be consistent. So if if you're working with your high school athletes that, that you're coaching, um, what are the habits and routines you want to see in their week that they pay attention to that they kind of keep track of? And this could be baseball related from, you know, the skill side of things as well as, you know, nutrition and sleep and, you know, what, what kind of conversations do you have? You know, when I start,
2: when I first start hitting or working with, you know, a high level, a high school athlete or different things like that, or a varsity level athlete, JV level athlete, I want to, I want them to understand the routine and getting comfortable with something that gets them mentally locked in. Um, and everyone's routine is different. I can give you tips on what I did, but that doesn't mean you're gonna like it or feel comfortable doing it. So giving them different options to be able to set a routine, whether that's in the cage or you know, my daily routine when I wake up or finding something that I enjoy doing that makes me happy, finding a half hour hour of that throughout my day. You know, I think the hard part with high school athletes is you wake up, you go to school 7 a.m., you wake up probably. Um, so we're waking up early already. Uh, you go throughout your day, you're going to practice after school or you're going to have a game. You're going to get home. You're going to want to eat. You're going to want to watch TV or catch up on sports or talk to your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, um, and stay up and just be a kid. And by the time you know it, it's it's 12 or 1, and now I'm getting six hours of sleep again. And I think a lot of it always goes back to sleep, but that's kind of the the structure of our school system is we're going to start early. And, and you guys know, just as well as anyone or anyone listening, no, no 18 year old is going to say, I need to go to bed at nine tonight to better myself for tomorrow. It's just not going to happen. Um, so like when I'm talking to these kids, I try to tell them that, but I, I try to be as realistic as I can with them. Like we, we know the information now um, at our age and the people we've talked to and people we've learned from and being able to share that knowledge is one thing but being able to communicate it and get those kids to grasp it is another thing. I think when we talk about training later, and I'll mention this now, the biggest thing with T3 that I enjoyed and enjoyed training with you guys is that you guys did the workouts with me. It wasn't someone that knew the knowledge that was telling me, Hey, let's go four more sets of five on that. No, you guys, like you guys are on the floor with athletes. They've seen you before. They've seen you before working out with other groups. If you're not working out with their group today, like, it's it's one thing for a guy to be able to sit there and stand there and tell you how to do something and watch you do it. But I don't think you get the same effect to these kids if you're not out there doing it with them or they haven't seen you doing it or putting in the work and grinding. Um, they they may know your past and you're a good athlete in the past, but all they see every day is you in the, in the now. So if they can see you, like I saw you guys working out with me and, you know, whether it was Raheem or different people like that, um, Xavier, throughout my training days with you, it's like, yeah, I'm going to come in. And I'm, I know I'm going to work because why would I let my coach show me up or outwork me? Um, just different things like that and motivational stuff like that um, to continue pushing these kids at, at, this, at their age level and the kids that we coach. Um, I'm, I think the biggest thing with me too is I'm blatantly realistic with these kids. Uh, and and you have to be because no one else wants to be and I think a lot of that stems from parents and these these big ideas of everyone I guess in my field baseball we always talk about Vanderbilt or Ole Miss or baseball schools like that like yeah no shit everyone wants to play there are you going to go there 99.5 percent of you aren't so let's be realistic and let's set up your expectations of okay, you are a very good baseball player. Tiffin is an hour and a half away. They have your major. You have a very good GPA. We can save you money. You may not play pro ball, but we can save you money in your college. You may not have student debt when you get out of college. So let's package this scholarship together at Tiffin and see how that works out for you and your family rather than continuously chasing Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, and then you're a senior and no one's left, no schools are left, everyone's filled up and different things like that. I know I got a little bit off topic, but that's kind of where it carried me is like being blatantly realistic with the recruiting process that we do with the Warhawks and our coaches, um, our parents and our players like, yeah, we, we want you to go to those places. But at the same time, if you don't, we need to be ready for you to be in a successful spot to either play or not worry about your life when you get outside of college and paying back all the student debt. Because fact of the matter is, if we have 100 kids in our organization, again, 99.5 or 100 aren't gonna play Pro Bowl. It's just the fact of the matter. So how can we as an organization and me as a coach be as realistic and honest with you as possible to set you up for, for success
1: outside of baseball down the road? And I think that it brings up the the idea concept of like, okay, do you want to play baseball at X school? And that's what you're trying to do. Or do you love the game of baseball and want to play baseball? Uh, Because like the, the one is an external motivating factor to be able to, like you said earlier, like put that in your social media bio. Uh, But then the other, when you just love the sport and love to play it, you don't need to put that in your bio that you love baseball or play at this school Like you deep down know yourself, that's what you want to do. And I think when you, as a coach, like specifically with what you do, um, you're able to have those conversations and the kids that love baseball are able to listen to it because they can know you and they know your experience and they know where you came from and what you did in the sport um, and they're ready to listen. And sometimes people aren't as direct and that ends up hurting us in the long run with the human development, uh, believing in something Um, That might be a pipe dream that we're motivated for the wrong reasons. Um, You know, as as you're coaching and you're you are in a position where you do have high level athletes, how do you help them transition um, from high school into college with that? You know, did you go to this school because you wanted to go to this school or do you want to go play baseball? How do you help athletes transition from high school into the college realm? I think a lot
2: of that is learned on their own in becoming an adult um, living on their own understanding, like we talked about in the past, how my past has put me in the situation where I'm now a college college level athlete. I'm on my own. How do I mature enough to continue to do the things I need to do to continue to be better than the person next to me? Because in I mean, just like any other sport, baseball is very selfish. Um, you want to get to, Varsity, you better be better than every JV player on your team. You know what I mean? You want to get to college, you better be better and selfish, selfishly better and want to be better than majority of people in your county or your state. Um, you want to get to Pro Bowl, well, you better be better than everyone in your your Power 5 conference, different things like that. So it continues to always – there's always something I'm chasing, and I think that's – again, I, I'm getting off topic again. I kind of ran into that to where I moved so quickly – I got to the big leagues. I never got, I never took the time to enjoy and say to myself, bro, Holy shit. I'm in the big leagues. This is what I wanted my whole life. It was, I'm in the big leagues. Okay. Now how can I get player of the week or how can I get player of the month? Okay. If I do that, how can I get to the all-star game? Okay. I made it to the all-star game. Now how can I get MVP? Shit. I'm two-time MVP. How can I be a hall of famer now? You know what I mean? There, you never stop chasing what you want. And you never take the time to realize where you're at and, and where your feet are. Like I, I wanted to be a major league baseball player my my whole life from the time I was five or six years old. Um, and there were times where I I was playing major league baseball in front of fifty thousand people and I wasn't having fun. Like to me, that's like looking back at it on it now is unbelievable and, and almost sad at times that I can look back on it and say that like I achieved my dream doing that. But at the same time, I wanted so much more and expected so much more out of myself that I wasn't able to enjoy it. Um, and the same thing with going back to like talking about these these college athletes coming from high school is like the distractions. So many of these good athletes are going to go to college and they may go to a power five school and they may last a year because of whatever, boys, girls, drinking, drugs, just just all the the different things that come along with, with college and stuff like that, um, or just not being able to handle your workload and your grades and practice and just mentally just wearing out. Um, so again, preparing them as, as well as we can. Uh, luckily, you know, with the Warhawks, we have a good staff coach Abrahamowitz is has coached at, at, Oberlin for a long time. He's seen a lot of things have been around the game and a lot of our guys are high upper level coaches or high school coaches or current college coaches or assistants. So we uh, we do a good job of being able to share that knowledge with our kids and just trying to prepare them as well as we can. I don't know if there's a, a set standard because of there's so many variables of, you know, where you're going or different things like that, but um, being able to lock in when you need to lock in is the biggest thing. I think we talk in our organization, our, our big thing is now we talk about the now. So with that is, Win or lose, we're never outworked. So NOW now, we're never outworked um, and no opportunity is wasted. And with that, it, and I'm sure you guys see it in training, parents will drop you off or will drop their kids off or <clears throat> kids will come to Sunday morning practice with us at 8 a.m. And, and that's the first thing we'll say is like, dude, right now, we're here now, you have nothing else to do. You're, you're not going anywhere else. So we need to bust our ass and work for these two hours. Because if you're here and you waste this day, you just got worse. So with our guys, we talk a lot about the now and being present. The the test you took yesterday that you failed is over with. You know, I mean, you're not going to get any better here while you're with us. The the game you have or the the dance that's this weekend isn't here yet. So we can't focus on that. And I think that translates not only into sports or baseball or football or basketball, but life in general. Like I'm on this call with you guys right now. I need to focus and give you the right information and, and share my, my past failures and different things like that, rather than worrying about pick my son up from school in an hour. You make so many, so many great points there, but
0: self-reflection is so hard. Awareness is so hard. Gratitude is, is so hard to do, especially in the moment. Cause we're always, we're always chasing something, um, and I'm so glad that you are consistently talking to the kids about it. Um, now, I haven't, I haven't heard that never outworked. I, I like that a lot. Um, on another kind of acronym, um, when athletes play for Ryan Rua, they wear T-shirts that say a certain acronym. And I, I've jotted it down. I'm sure it's incorrect. NH2, MF, like something along those lines, right? Molly wears it around all the time. Um, you have awesome strengths from your playing career, which now makes you a great coach. Um, can you kind of talk us through your style? And you did a little bit, right? Like I'm, I'm blunt. I tell them how it is. What are um, some of your strengths that you took from your sport that you're doing now as a coach what are some of the things that are helping you be a great coach and what is like your style if you were to describe it as coaching um and then again i i, I want you to kind of talk about just to explain oh this is ryan Ru's style this is the t-shirt this is what it is this is why we do it
2: yeah i think you know the first team i took over and you guys know majority of those guys on that team or some of those guys three years ago at 50 at 15 years old um, with Troy and, and Jonesy and Sid and those guys. Uh, I think, again, I was blessed to have a group like that because they weren't super talented. They loved playing the game. But most importantly, they were ready to buy in to what me and Jeff were, were saying. They were very, um, very good at absorbing the knowledge and information that we were telling them because. The 15 year year is very awkward where some of these kids look like they're 17 and some of them look like they're 12. Uh, so that year we use we use a lot of teaching and playing the game the right way. So we'll focus on very simple tasks, game to game, whether that is, and we always tell our guys, this is we need to limit our walks and we need to make the routine plays. When we get on base, we need to be as, gre- as aggressive as we can on the base paths. If you make a physical error because you're aggressive, we'll never be upset with you. Don't ever worry about making that, that mistake and being over-aggressive. That's that's part of the game. It's the only way you can get better. I'd rather you get thrown out at third, going first to third on a single to right, than kind of second-guess yourself and stay at second. Because in summer ball, it's not going to benefit you when you get down the road you know, into, into high school varsity ball. And and college ball, you know, understanding summer ball and knowing when to push your, that's the time to push your limits and see what you can do. Because um, if you lose in summer ball, it is what it is. Yeah, we're going to be mad and it's going to suck, but we need to understand how to learn and grow and and push ourselves and what we can get out of ourselves. Um, but with with Jeff and I coaching those boys, um, we're very laid back. And at the same time, those kids need to learn how to play the game on their own. I can't be sitting there yelling, yelling something at you every single pitch from the dugout. Jeff and I are very laid back and we hate to lose and we're very competitive. Um, and And I think at times we'll take it almost too serious with those kids. Not from a standpoint of yelling or different things like that, but Jeff and I will like, we'll research. Okay. This team is their record is this, this is the kid that's pitching tomorrow. Here's what he did his last start. And this is summer ball. But I think the thing is, Jeff and I are doing that. So we're putting our kids in the best situations to succeed. It's not because we're crazy about summer youth baseball. We want to see our kids in the Warhawk name succeed more than anyone else. Um, so taking that extra time and doing, doing those things and putting the kids in the right situation is, is the biggest thing for us. And as anything at 15, 16, 17 years old, we're, we're motivators more than anything. Like it ain't, It's not fun to go out there at 8 a.m., and it's 90 degrees already, and you know you have three games that day. But to us, if I'm going to go out there and I'm going to play that other team is across, across the field from me in the other dugout, and I'm playing shortstop, we tell our guys, hey, you're playing shortstop today, that's their shortstop. As soon as he gets out there, mentally, you look him in the eyes and you tell yourself, that kid's not fucking out working me today. That's just how it's going to be. He may go four for four. And I may go one for four, but if he's four for four and all of his base hits, he just jogs down the line and doesn't get anything out of it. Okay, did he really get better? But you go one for four and, you know, your last base hit, you you're hard out of the box and the outfielder bobbles it and you get to second because of it. Now we can button you over. Now we can hit you in and we win by one. That, that's the difference maker in games is consistently being able to do the same thing over and over again, whether you're fail, failing or succeeding. So we we try to get the most out of our guys. And I think the cool thing was with that group at 15, we kind of laid back and let them do their things, but we were hard when we needed to be hard and we didn't want to lose. And then last year at 17 years old with that same group, Jeff and I didn't have to say a word. They went out, they stretched on their own. If they were losing, they were pissed off at themselves and each other and they held held each other accountable. Um, so, I mean, a couple of things with, with the coaching is, we want to put those kids in the best situation to succeed. We want them to learn accountability at an early age. And we want, want them to learn how to take care of themselves and individuals and their teammates at an early age. That way, two years down the road, we're not doing the same thing. I mean, it's cool to, to coach the same team over and over again, but if they're not getting any growth out of it, not necessarily success on the field, but off the field and different things like that, if they're not growing, maturing, or, or getting something out of it, then you're not really doing your job. Um, so seeing those guys and that was, that's the coolest step for me is seeing those guys get pissed off at 17 years old when they start to lose, when Jeff and I were getting pissed off at 15 years old and they were just, you know, laughing around, joking around. Um, but building the relationships too is, is always key. You know, yeah, I'm going to be your friend, but I'm, I'm not more of your friend than I am your coach and trying to teach you how to do things the right way. I think that's where we kind of get caught up. And a lot of people get caught up these days is like man, this kid is really good and I'm his coach. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of let him, you know, do his own thing and take care of him. And if he doesn't want to do this this day, you know, then he doesn't have to, because I don't want him to be mad at me. And he goes play for somewhere, someone else. Well, that's, that's not our organization. Like if you're the best player on the team and you're, you're not playing the right way, we're going to tell you about it or you're not doing things the right way. We're going to tell you about it. And if you leave, that's on you and your family. But we always say, you know, if, if you go to college and, you go through our organization, you're a scholarship player and you get to college and your college coach is the first one to ever yell at you on the baseball field and we didn't do our job. Um, so just just again, as blunt and realistic with these kids as possible, but at the same time, I know I'm, I'm saying a lot of stuff, but we have a lot of fun and the kids, the kids love it. Um, and we are very successful uh, taking care of the small things and <clears throat> not worrying about, you know, how many hits can I get this game or different things like that. But like I said, the base running, the the strike throwing, the routine plays um, that majority of teams don't talk about. I think that's what's contributed to a lot of our success with the team I had the past three years.
0: And how about the uh, the team motto and the t-shirt?
2: Yeah, that kind of, I don't remember who. We were losing to a team that was, not not as superior as us by any means um and we were kind of they were kind of laughing about and our guys were laughing about it we may be it may have been like the fifth thing and it was like 62 we're losing and i was like you guys you guys go ahead and keep keep fucking laughing and dicking around because in two innings we're gonna we're gonna end up taking this l and you guys can think about it the next week until our next tournament and i said um i said jeff and i are your two coaches the other team has two coaches i said Jeff and I are not here to make fucking friends. Like I'm not, I'm not making fucking friends with that coach <laughs> over there. I don't, I don't care. So if you guys can't grasp that, then that's fine. And then we ended up coming back and winning that game. And um, those guys made that that kind of acronym in those shirts of not here to make fucking friends, which probably isn't pretty ap- appropriate for high school <laughs> summer baseball. But then uh, again, another motivating factor that they kind of grasped grasped hold of and kind of had fun with.
1: There are so yeah. many um, little like details with, you know, what you're talking about. and yeah, I, like, I are, feel are, like
2: uh, uh, I'm going on and talking about this stuff and then other stuff keeps popping in my no. mind. I'm like,
1: I'm all over the place. That's exactly why it's our fault that we waited 40 episodes to have it on, heavy you on. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, I think like baseball, especially right. We, we tend to reward um, the outcomes early and those like stud athletes or that that really good prospect baseball player gets rewarded for outcomes um, early and often. Um, as opposed to what baseball is really all about is like the processes that get those outcomes. Um, because of baseball being the sport it is, like you can wake up and throw 90 and you just have a gift. Um, and now are we gonna take the processes that we need to be able to sustain that gift or are we going to rest on the outcomes we've had previously Um, all of those little things that you're talking about are are holding athletes accountable for the process goals and and that's what you're you're strict on now the outcome is whatever it is and and like if you lose a game you guys aren't going to come down hard on a team for losing a game but what was going on in that game Were there processes that we missed? And that's what you guys hold such a high standard for. Um, And that's what the kids really need at whatever level of ball they play next, if they have that opportunity to. Um, You know, I'm not, I don't really have like a follow up question to that or anything. I just think it's so cool to see that conversation uh, as you lay it out with all the things you're encouraging and doing such a great job of focusing on those processes, regardless of the outcomes. Eventually, outcomes matter. Winning and losing happens. And we want to win and we hate to lose. Uh, but if right. we only obsess over those things and we're a coachy coach only yelling and screaming just because we're losing, even though our team's playing our ass off, we tend to lose focus on what's most important and what baseball will teach us for the rest of our life, which is focus yeah. on the pr- process. The outcomes will be there eventually. You say you said multiple times you're lucky. You wouldn't have been lucky if you didn't trust and believe in the processes that you did to get there right and I, I think too
2: like football I know uses you know do your 111th you know what I mean just like baseball do do your one ninth if 75% of your kids can grasp onto that your nine best players you're going to have a successful season just like I talked about earlier you're, if you're a shortstop and you're telling that guy you're looking across the field and you say that guy's not outworking me today if all nine of your starters can do that you're probably going to have a pretty successful game but, and you can tell them that but I think getting them to buy in and believe in that within themselves and within each other is is the biggest key. Um, and I think too a lot with my guys at this age, confidence is is so much of it winning, winning and losing games. Like I will tell my guys, and I told them this one of the first meetings we had: confidence breeds confidence. So if you're a bench guy and you're not playing and you play. You play once every three days, but you know that the three hitter, the four hitter has confidence in you and, and believes in you. You're now going to have more confidence in, your, in yourself when you get up there and it's your turn, rather than you just being that bench guy no one says anything to you and you're up there and you kind of think in the back of your mind, yeah, I know I don't play. And now to add on top of that, I know these guys don't believe in me either. Um, is another thing, you know, I think when I played in the big leagues, I was lucky enough to play with so many all-stars, you know, in the Rangers organization, different things like that. But um, having guys believe in you brings out the best in you, making you believe in yourself, obviously, even more. And, you know, once you believe in yourself, even more the confidence starts to ooze out of you. And and that's when you, you really start to take off. So that's something, again, at the 14, 15, 16, you age group, I try to talk to these guys a lot about too, is like, yeah, I know – it's cool to pick on the kid that, that isn't the best on the team, but like, dude, he's on, he's on your goddamn team. So he's a part of you. So even though you don't think it's cool, it's a reflection on you as well. Um, and I think just, you know, my confidence and being fiery about it too, is like some kids like that, some parents like that, whether it's, you know, I don't, I don't curse to curse. I I do it to prove a point almost and fire the kids up. Um, kind of like last night we had our our 10 to 12 U Academy practice. And those guys are going to start playing games. And one of the first things we do with those guys and in, in creating a culture is like, hey, when you step on the field, your gloves are set this way on the line, every single player. And if it's not, I'm going to I'm gonna pull your glove off. I'm going to find out who it is. And you're going to stand there, that person stand there while everyone else runs, which is kind of old school because a lot of coaches aren't, aren't comfortable doing that or think the parents might not like it. But we did that week one and last week was like week nine or 10 and it's like every single kid that comes on the field at 10 years old puts their goddamn glove on the line and gets ready to stretch. So at the end of that practice and these guys are going to start playing games pretty soon I told them I said I couldn't be more proud of you guys the way you've adapted as 10 year olds to be able to understand that and do that every single week the first time you step on the field. Now when I'm not there or other coaches aren't there or you're not in our facility, the same thing goes. You go and you're going to go practice on that or go play that game on that field. And this is where I, I kind of probably overdid it a little bit. But I said that glove is going to go right on that line. And as soon as that glove goes on that line, it's time to stretch and you get ready to kick that other team's ass. And I know I'm saying that to 10-year-olds, which is probably a little bit too much. But the fact of the matter is, like, as soon as that glove's on the line, I got to lock in. And if we can teach our guys in our organization to start locking in earlier, again, always having fun, but locking in earlier, it doesn't have to be taught when they're 14 or 15, it's expected of them. Um, And I think that's where we're we're really gonna start to continue to transcend as an organization, um, just being able to do the little things, the culture building things and different things like that. We we always talk about showing up to the field one way, not wearing flip flops, never hat backwards with uniform on, same thing goes for coaches. I think it's it's just uh, a foundation of, of running things the right way, even though it's a little bit old school now. And I don't know if that comes down to people being afraid to tell people to do things that way or or kind of mention it that way. But I think in today's game and sports in general, with high school and, and amateur athletes, so many coaches are afraid to, I guess, take that authority. And, um, and command respect. They'd rather those kids be like, okay, they may not get better today, but that kid still likes me. I don't care if you like me or not. If you're not getting better, you're probably not gonna last on my team. So it, at the end of the day, it's it's one or the other. Yeah, man, you made a
0: lot of good points and I don't think there's any issue with having standards, right? at At any age, I think we do, I would imagine as parents, Right, you, you you shouldn't just let your kids get away with whatever they want. I think we're in a similar role as as coaches to be able to do that. Um, but I, what I'm really interested in, Ryan, here, um, kind of as we wrap up, your perspective on this as a as an underdog, as somebody who defied the odds, worked up, played at the highest level, and played really well and then are now into that position where you're coaching and where you're recruiting and where you are in the weight room with the kids and you're in the batting, batting cages with the kids. Um, I want to know in your mind, what is really important? I think a lot of times we get caught up on social media. Oh, this is this kid's power clean. This is this kid's trap bar deadlift. This is this kid's 40 or, you know, in, in your sport, this is this kid's 60, like, are those things actually that important or do we need to focus on other things that are really more important for, for playing the game? I think what are kind of the, the, the metrics and the things that we should be, we should be looking at.
2: A a little bit of both. I think those numbers are obviously something to go off of. And I think recruiting nowadays too, those are important because if you have those numbers, a coach is more, more aware of you and more likely to come see you play, rather than in the old school days. Coaches heard of a player, or you know, college uh, recruiters heard of a player, they'd go, they'd go out and watch him. Now there's all these perfect game, PBR, different things like that, to where, okay, I heard of this player. Let me go check his numbers real quick to see if it's something that seems like I'd, it makes sense for me to go watch him. Now I'll go watch him. Um, for me, it's all, it's always going to come back to. Stacking each day on top of each other. That's what I'm trying to get out of my kids and the longevity of it. Um, baseball wise, you know, I've been lucky to coach Troy for the past three or four years and see him in in T three performance for ninety percent of the days out of the year, probably. Um, and and I know that a lot of those kids can't do that. He's very fortunate, but at the same time, he he takes advantage of it. He doesn't, you know, just take it for granted and come and go as he wants. Um, if he's in there, he's going to work, but based on the expectations of these kids getting out of it what they want to get out of it and I think that's the main thing is the first time we sit down and talk to them or the first time we meet them majority of our coaches us three I know you two are able to see what kind of kid that wants and you can tell right away if he he is someone or she is someone that really wants it and really gets it um and that may come through the first one or two or three training sessions with one of us but it's like understanding not what this parent wants. Yeah. That that's one thing, but what does this kid want? Just like we talked about earlier, does this kid want to go big D one and just sit there and say, I'm a D one player or I went D one, or does this someone that wants to grind it out every single day and may not be talented right now at 15, but if he sticks to this schedule and he's in here with us and 17 or 18, he's an absolute dude. And the work ethic is one thing. Um, and he gets into the next level and that's when he continues to transcend and maybe he turns into someone like me who matures and takes off in college. Um, but it's to me as a recruiter, talent is one thing, but if you are someone I know that puts in the work, I have less of a problem sticking my neck out for you rather, rather than the other person who's more talented who I see once a week. If you're a little less talented or, a little more talent more talented regardless it doesn't matter but if I see that kid four or five times a week consistently I'm going to put my neck on the line for that kid more than the talented kid who I see once or twice a week or a couple times a month because at the end of the day yeah we want our kids to go to school but it's, it's a it's a brand recognition thing like I don't want to be sending kids to school and they're not playing or they're falling out or they're failing or flunking out or getting into the transfer portal you know, their first year that we're not doing our job. Our job is to put them there and put them in the right situation to succeed. And I always say too, how can we teach these kids? Because majority of them will not play pro ball. That is the goal, yeah. And I want them all to play pro ball if they have the chance. But how can we impact their lives enough outside of the game of baseball that if they don't play baseball at the next level, that they got something out of our organization? I think that's the key. Um, Whether that's developing a routine or, maybe when they came into the weight room, they were a super shy person, but because of the weight room, because of our coaching, they've become a little bit more outgoing and that's helped them in their life and become more comfortable in school or whatever their next phase of life is, um, and different things like that. But there's, there's so many ways that we're able to impact these kids in the weight room and coaching them in in these amateur athletics that I think are just taken for granted. So much about it is, is winning and losing as you guys know, but I think, uh, especially at t3 we do a phenomenal job of being able to transcend and and develop these kids not only as athletes but human beings going in to the real world
0: man a lot of great points james always says i i don't want to be your your last strength coach right and i think that it, that's it right we're trying to teach you more we're trying to help you be more um Even if you don't end up having success, I want you to understand how to train and how to train for longevity and be healthy, Um, how to be a good person, how to have, how to be able to communicate, how to meet new people, how to look people in the eyes when you talk to them, all that stuff is, is so important. Um, Your thoughts, Ryan, on year round specialization. I know it's so big in, in the, in the sport um where do you stand again as a guy who's been there a guy who's done the biggest of the biggest played on the biggest levels where do you stand on that
2: um again with the world changing and everyone adapting um i was always i think the old school approach is be play as many sports as you can now as you see kids develop and these kids are maturing physically faster than ever. I mean, there's, there's 14 year olds throwing 90 miles an hour. I know when James and I were playing varsity level baseball, you know, 14, 15 years ago, we had one kid in the County, maybe throwing 90. You know what I mean? Now it's like every, every team, whether you're a high level team in high school or a, a lower level team has someone throwing upper eighties or 90, at least one kid. That's um, still something I think about. I still, I still side with playing as many sports as thing as athletic as you can. But at the same time, I understand that if your best sport is baseball and the other ones are just kind of, I do it for fun. That's when we need to start thinking, okay, if I'm really, really good at baseball, but I golf and play basketball just for fun in high school, the hours I'm necessarily having fun. I won't say wasting golfing and playing basketball could be going into playing baseball or training or training to continue to develop, to get better at baseball. So I think, And there's so many kids that take that route. It's hard. It's hard to say, am I falling behind because I'm playing these other sports while this kid isn't, and he's solely focusing on one sport, or am I getting better because I'm playing three sports and continue to become more athletic than that kid. So I think it's, it's a little bit of give and take as a, parent, if my son was 15 right now, I think it comes down to being realistic with how good he is at that one sport or how good she is at that one sport. If my son is 16 years old and he's throwing 92 miles an hour, I'm probably going to go ahead and say, let's focus on, on baseball as much as we can, because you have a good, a good shot at doing things. Now, if my son is 16, throwing 75 and enjoys playing through other sports and let's go ahead and play through other sports. But that's just my thought process. I think there's positive, positives and negatives to both. Uh, I don't know how you guys really think about it. I know obviously training with you guys and different things like that. I've seen the way that your training's kind of developed over the years, just from when you are training me, some of the baseball stuff you do now. So we're, we're always learning and adapting. Um, but yeah, the the, the sports special specialization training is that's a tough topic, and I don't, I'd don't. i be interested to see what you guys think about it because I think it, a lot of it depends on the athlete and the situation that they're in.
0: Yeah, I um, – James, I, I saw you wanted to say something. I got a little something to say about that. Um, but I, I would have always said a 1,000% play as many sports as possible just because that's what I did, and I enjoyed it. I met new people, and I got to experience a lot of things but I don't know if you saw the post after this most recent Super Bowl, somebody put something out 90 something percent of the athletes on the field played multiple sports in high school. Mm -hmm. Right. And so us multiple sport athlete coaches post it. We're like, yep, this is it obviously duh. Right. And so I had a coach reach out to me and it was super interesting because I would have never even thought the opposite of that. And he was like, well, These guys are the best players in the NFL on the best teams. They probably would have been there anyway, right? If they would have played a lot of sports or if they would have played. And I, and I thought, okay, that's, that's a good point. Um, And then he sent me a video about a coach talking about sports specialization. And he was basically talking about the statistics and all the studies that are biased towards multiple sport athletes. And one big point that stuck out to me is he said, okay, if you've got all these multiple sport athletes, right, on, let's say, a youth team or whatever, if you're trying to get this 15 year old kid to play as many sports as he wants and he, you know, as many sports as he can, he ends up playing pro ball. He said, how many kids on that team played as many sports as possible and didn't make it to the pros? And that one, that one point made me think, oh, that's so interesting. So if one kid who plays, four sports makes it to the pros and then if 19 other kids on his team play four sports and don't make it to the pros nobody does the studies on the other 19 right and then just like you said maybe that time where they were playing other sports if they weren't enjoying it or weren't getting any better just doing it to do it they could have focused on that one sport to make them that much better at it but I do. I am a little more interested in it now than I was even a couple months ago where I would say, Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I still think you get great properties. And again, like do, uh, you develop certain athletic abilities. Um, I like the social aspect of it that you get from other sports, but there is definitely something there. And I'm not so quick to tell people to do it now. Like you said, I mean, you're 15 and elite. It's like, well, maybe you do James. I, What's your take?
1: Yeah, and I think like the, the argument always goes back to why like multiple sports are important is to be exposed to different movement environments and different like core competencies of skill base, right? So if we have a baseball player, let's say he's a middle infielder, um, and one of those core competencies he's not great at is lateral movement and quickness and reaction agility and he plays basketball. Well, that supports the movement qualities he needs to improve as a baseball player. Um, but you know it it has so much more to do in my opinion with like what does our training environment look like that would support our sport if we do choose to specialize is my training environment not going to provide enough external stress outside of the stress that the sport of baseball provides Um, am I going to be exposed to different movement patterns in training and then can I find enjoyment similar enjoyment in that training environment that I would get from playing another sport. And I think we tend to forget, like, let's look at a three-sport athlete. Um, Like, uh, So, you know, Ryan, you played two sports in high school. Uh, CT, you played two and then ran track. So really three. I played three up until my junior year and stopped playing basketball. Um, So like, but we all didn't focus, like you didn't train for track. And and Ryan, you didn't train for basketball as intensely as you did, right? You just showed up and played the games. And because you were a higher level competitor and athlete, like you were able to provide value to that team. So I, you know, I think we tend to pigeonhole conversations like this into it's either this or it's either that. uh, But there's so many more dynamic like components of that. And we also assume that performance training is going to help you as a baseball player. And But what if you still suck and and don't have the skills that you need to be able to, right? So like, you know, I spent all this time in the weight room this off season, but the weight room movements didn't provide enough of a transitional strength performance base to my sports skill because I didn't work with a pitching coach. So now, great, I have a bigger motor, right? But I just got hurt pitching because my legs got way stronger and I didn't change my arm path to accommodate what I needed to do to be actually a better baseball player. So and I know I kind of went off on that one, but like, I think that like, we have to look at what we're doing first and why we're doing it before we give advice to the people that we're in front of. And, you know, I think eventually we do have to make a decision to, to focus on a certain sport and whether that just means that I'm gonna play for this basketball team, but there's gonna be certain things I won't do in the off season. Uh, because I'm going to be spending time on baseball and there's going to be certain things I need to do during basketball that still involve um, improving my sports skills for baseball. Like, I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think we can accommodate because at the end of the day, those pro athletes are going to be there. And I don't think it it matters, right? What they, what environment they put in, but it does matter for a kid that's trying to play division three college baseball and he's not that athlete yet. Yep.
0: Yes. As Ryan would say, not the, not that dude. Um, I like that from earlier. Hey man, a couple of things to wrap up. Um, now training, diet, sleep, all dialed in, like you talked about. Um, and again, I know you got to go in a couple of minutes, Shortened version. What does that stuff kind of look like for you?
2: Uh, you know, the training, the diet the sleep, um, it differs having some kids. I try to be as consistent as I can. Um, not only with my schedule, but with theirs. And obviously I'm a father before anything else. And I think that's the biggest thing. And my, my, my biggest driving factor is being a father and being the best father I can. Um, but going back to when I was playing and the injuries, I ate like shit. I slept like shit. Probably no coincidence that I was injured as I got older a lot more of the time. Um, so being able to hone in on my diet, get in the training I want and with a busy schedule that my workouts are my I don't want to say fun time but my time to relax and put in my headphones and just for two hours just get after it and kind of kind of do my own thing clear my mind Um, and then you know the habit building things like I I want to read something every day Um, whether that's a chapter of a book or you know, a magazine article or a newspaper article about getting better, coaching, or recruiting, or something. I want to be able to read something every day, um, and I want to take, like I said, take an hour, two out, of, two hours out of my day to do something that I truly enjoy. And for me, like I said, that's that's working out. Um, and it's funny because these, the diet, the nutrition, the working out, the job at T three, and everything I'm doing. When I get home at nine o'clock or ten o'clock, I'm ready for bed um to where in the past i'm like oh, i got nothing else to do let's stare at my phone for three hours and it's 1 a.m and i'm not getting up at seven to start my routine the next day I'm, I'm getting i'm getting up at noon uh i don't have the luxuries of of sleeping in that long anymore one because of kids and two i don't i don't want to because i don't start my day the right way um so much of it is i believe in starting your day the right day or the right way um whether that's a good breakfast or getting up and you know if we live in Arizona or Florida or California. Yeah. I get outside and get some sunlight, but here we're not, we're not that lucky. Um, Different things like that, whether it's a morning walk or morning meditation yoga, like something needs to lock me in in the morning of every single day that will carry me through the rest of my day, because it's inevitable that things are going to go go on throughout your day that aren't going to go your way. But if I have that thing that I do in the morning that can kind of set the tone for my day, I'm going to be in a better better spot, better position as the day goes forward. And I'm, I'm welcoming to those failures or those challenges that, that come about. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy, the diet and nutrition, the sleep, the habit building stuff, how, how much more consistent and fluid my days run and how much better I feel as an individual. I could never imagine a decade ago falling asleep at 10, waking up at five or 5.30 to go work out and feeling good about it. Um, and it's crazy. And it's, and like I said, it's tough for these high school kids to do that, but just as an adult in general, it's, I think it's, it's, it's pivotal that you, you get up and you start your day the right way.
0: Yeah, man. If you want to be like everybody else, just do what everybody else is doing. But, um, you know, you can tell where you're at now and where you've been that you don't, you don't want to be like everybody else. Um, last, last thing on that, before we get into our final question, um, diet, what, what's, what are, what are meals like for look what do meals look like for you timing, um, all that stuff. And then I'm going to just take every single note about this. Um, what you say here? Um, what are you eating? When are you eating it?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it differs. I try to be as consistent as possible. Obviously. Um, the intermittent fasting comes into play if I have a bigger eating day or, you know, there's a birthday party on the weekend or a big game that my family has a party for and different things like that and kind of flesh out my system and do that. But if I can be as consistent as possible, I'm going to work out at 5.30. I'm going to have a protein shake at 8 when I'm done with my workout. Um, after that, you know, I'll have a small lunch and try to hold off till 6 or 7 to have dinner and then nothing, nothing after that. Um, obviously, a, a protein shake, um, a protein at lunch, a protein at dinner with a vegetable um, and some carbs, usually sweet potato or. Or rice, or different things like that, and you know, if I am snacking, you know, peanut butter is my go-to. Not, I mean, I could eat a whole tub, whole tub, and not move for two days. um, Trying to, trying to be as clean as I can with that. But again, it' so much of the diet is consistency, Um, and I know you guys, you see all the posts and see all that shit of, yeah, the weight room is is the easy part of it. It's it's the cooking, it's the preparing, it's it's staying consistent resisting temptation stuff like that but it's I think it comes down to the type of person you are and what you want to get out of it Um, anyone can do it I mean we see weight loss stories and different things like that of of these athletes and you guys see athletes and how they transcend over the years and things like that that you train if they come in somewhat heavy and their goals are different and they they want to be a better athlete yeah but they want to lose weight at the same time It's, it's all going to come down to consistency how can I can Continue to stack those days on top of each other. Good day of eating. Good day of eating. Good day of eating. But at the same time, understanding, I ha- I have to be flexible um, and still be able to enjoy enjoy my life. I don't want it to overcome and overtake my life to where, yeah, I look great, but mentally, I don't I don't know where I'm at or I, I'm not having fun with it. Right. It's so
0: simple, simple but not easy. It's so yeah. simple. Yeah. Um, okay, man. Last question. We we wrap every every podcast up with. Um, And I think this is important, a good takeaway for for coaches and athletes missing um, listening. Excuse me. What do you think, coach, we are missing in the fitness and strength and conditioning industry?
2: The thing that sticks out to me, especially because I'm always at T3 is what we talked about earlier, is our coaches being able to get in and work with their players. Um, The players saying seeing you do the work is one thing. Um, understanding they already know that you know what what you're telling them that's that's great but getting them to buy in as much as possible and you doing the work with them and and some coaches may not have the luxury of doing that based on age or injury or or things like that but the communication aspect of being a coach is the biggest thing how we communicate how we get our information to our athletes how we motivate them how we push them um is is always going to be the biggest thing so how can we not be a, to me it's not being a friend but being a coach first yes I'm always going to help you when you need it and I'm, I'm not not your friend but understand that I am your coach um, we'll have these fun conversations we'll do things you know that are fun at the same time but my goal is not to be here to help you have fun my goal is to be here to help you be a better athlete down the road and get out of what you're supposed to get out today Um, And obviously, you know, those those athletes that show up, we're going to be there for them. So we need to be prepared to to stack that day and and make that a good day for them. Um, And if they want to continue to show up, then we need to be able to consistently repeat that over and over again for them. That's that's our job. But there's I mean, there's so many things that we can hit on. Um, To me, it's the communication and consistency of pushing our athletes the right way and being as realistic with them as possible.
0: That's awesome, man. We, uh, we appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your time and being present. Just like we talked about, um, tell you again, tell your daughter, thank you from us that she was able to hang out. Um, I'm up there. And then we know you got to go get your, go get your boy. But, uh, if people want to follow you, man, people want more information, people want to work with you. Where, where can we find you on, on social media?
2: Yeah. On Twitter. I have my, um, my main account, uh, at RUA uh, underscore number underscore two. And then I have our T3 Warhawks RUA account um, that I use a little bit for recruiting and more so highlighting all of our athletes. I know our main athletes get get highlighted all the time, um, but that's something I'm doing different this year is I'm having our parents that follow me on Twitter and follow Warhawks on Twitter send me videos of you know all their players, whether they're a high-level baseball player right now or not. I'm going to repost that stuff and do that and get their get their publicity for them out there because everyone enjoys seeing that um and just trying to be a positive platform on social media and then uh on instagram uh ryan underscore rua um on there but yeah just uh social media stuff just the t3 warhawks rua account is something that i'm using to you know promote our athletes and and get all that stuff out there if you guys check that out it's it's majority of of our guys doing things and playing the game in spring too and that's A big thing for me that I've kind of um, cut back now on the lessons a little bit and during the spring, since I train all these guys in the winter, I'm going out and talking to their parents and watching their varsity and JV games and doing that stuff. And understanding that again, if us as coaches, we are their coach, not their friend, but if they can communicate with us in the gym and they can see us out there watching their actual events when we don't have to be there, that just builds that trust factor even more. And like, God damn, that, that dude, that dude cares about me. It's not that I'm doing it for that reason, because I'm doing it for the reason that I want to be out there. And I want to see those kids succeed and have that support system for it. But it's like a lot of it is going, having to go out of your way to do things the right way to get these kids to buy in um, and show them that you do care. I mean, I last week when I was out in I was out in Canton to watch a game with five of our guys who live out there that played against each other. Um, tonight I'll go to Vermilion and see Sandusky Perkins play Vermilion. There's like seven or eight guys on, on that varsity game that played for us, too. So it's just it's just getting out there. And, you know, obviously I've played at the highest level, so these kids respect me for that reason. But I want them to respect me for a different reason, too, that they see that I care about them and different things like that. And I know they're working in the winter um, at 8 a.m. And, and 10 a.m. with us throughout our practices on Sunday. So, you know, I'm going to be out there to, to see you when you're playing and, and showing off what you, what you worked on in the winter during the spring and summer. So, yeah, just getting out there and, you know, having these kids know that I'm out there for them and believing in, believing in them and wanting to see them succeed is a is big thing.
0: And thanks for, for everything you do for the kids. We are lucky, and I speak for James and everybody on staff, when I say we are so lucky to have you on staff you've you've been a huge 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 benefit to to us and, and and a huge benefit to the to the athletes you get to work with man thanks for sharing your time with us here on the podcast and also you know with everybody at the gym so thank you everybody for listening and tuning in to episode 40 with coach Ryan Rua coach and former player Ryan Rua uh, before you head out remember these three things one continue to always practice gratitude two, tell the people that you love that you love them and three We got one life to live. We might as well live this life stimulated. Thank you all, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.